Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's so good to have you guys with us here today. First sunny day in a week and here you are. So thank you so much. You didn't know it was going to be sunny before you got in here, so, um, but I appreciate you coming inside anyways. I want to say special welcome to everybody watching online. Uh, so good to have you guys joining us. You guys may not know this, we have between 90 to 150 people uh, tuning in online every single week through our uh, live.gatherashville.org site, Facebook, and Instagram. And so um, we're so grateful to have you guys joining us. I want to give you a special invitation. If you've never been here in person before and you've been kind of watching for afar, man, I would love to, to meet you. We would love to have the opportunity to, to shake your hand and pour you a warm cup of coffee. And so we'd love for you to come join us during this series. Well, uh, today we're starting a brand new series called You Asked For It. You Asked For It. Now, this is a, kind of an intimidating series for me because I'm a control freak and I like to be in control of everything and I like to, to be in full control of what we preach and, and teach other things that I get really excited about. But um, in this series, our goal is to give you the opportunity uh, to decide what we teach here at the Gathering Church and, and what subjects specifically um, we, we answer questions on. And so we've given you the opportunity that we created a website, uh, gatherashville.org slash questions for you to submit your questions. And we're taking the most asked out of all the questions that are submitted and we're answering them right here on this stage. We've had some funny entries. We had uh, one person actually put on, put on their, um, uh, when are we going to retire, you know, a specific song that we do all the time. Um, and uh, just insert your least favorite song here. And, uh, and so today's message is answering that question. Just all about that song. Nope, nope. Uh, the answer is never. We're never retiring. It's singing it forever until you lose your mind. Somebody asked one time if I would ever preach the whole Bible instead of just the topical series. The answer is no. Um, it would take too long. Uh, you guys would have to be here for several days on end at a time, and so nobody's got time for that. Um, and so today, the question that we're going to answer uh, is our second most asked question, and that is, is Christianity the only way to heaven? Is Christianity the only way to heaven? In Asheville, we're such a spiritualist city. This is a question that many of us have wondered, or maybe your friends have asked you when they find out that you're a, a Christian, and so um, this is a really big question to answer here in our city, and so I'm hoping that if you have doubts and you have, uh, this is one of your questions, um, that we're able to begin to satisfy that today. I think all of these questions are awfully big to try to accomplish an answer in 45 minutes, but we hope to begin to satisfy that today. And then my hope is that if you feel firm in the way that you believe about that answer, if you believe that uh, Christianity is the only way to heaven, that today your faith would be strengthened that you would be reminded that God is good and that he, he thinks of everything and that we don't have to um, wonder all the time. And so uh, that's this week, but first let me tell you about next week. Um, next week we are going to answer our number one most asked question. And so out of all the questions that have been submitted so far, uh, more than half have been around one subject. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about our convictions on the topic of LGBTQ. This is going to be a week you do not want to miss. Invite somebody. 
Get here early. Bring a notebook. Here's what I want you to know in advance before we tackle this really sensitive and personal issue. We at the gathering will never stand against a person. We do not take political stances of any kind here. We're for people. This message is going to be the beginning of a conversation. I want us to be able to communicate out of love about a highly controversial topic in the church with respect for all sides. So I would ask you to come next week expectant and not combatant and come with grace for the conversation. So let's get started on today's topic, is Christianity the only way to heaven? Do you guys need a minute to recover and let the anxiety seep in for a second? <laughs> Just take a second, imagine what my week will be like. Um, we love people and we, we really are excited to try and communicate that with every single word that we speak. Um, so this, this week, we're talking about Christianity and whether or not it's the only way to heaven. So a little bit of statistics. Last year, the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life published a major study on religious affiliation, beliefs, and practices in the United States. One of the significant findings was that 70% of all Americans believe that many religions can lead to eternal life, including 65% of all self-identifying Christians. Perhaps the most surprising find in this study was that 56% of all evangelical Christians believe that there are many paths other than faith in Christ to God and eternal life. This is a part of our culture now. In the U.S., we strive to be a culture of inclusion, but with limitations. In fact, I think this is a culture more than ever before in the United States of pluralism. We believe that everybody should have the opportunity to be right unless them being right means somebody else is wrong. We have a real dualistic mindset about this in our culture here in the United States. We're all about inclusion and tolerance unless it means being tolerant of a belief that excludes others. You see, I believe that Christianity genuinely and truly is the only way to heaven. Now, let me preface this conversation by saying that the gathering church is a place where you can belong before you believe. And you don't have to believe what we believe to be in our community here. And so once, once you enter our dream team and you get into leadership, then we'll start to hold you to a standard and have expectations that our beliefs would align with your beliefs. But until that point, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to come with doubts. And questions. If you're in here this morning and your belief is that there's many paths to heaven and you listen to everything that I say here today and you decide you disagree with me, I want you to know that there's enough room in here for you to do that and for you to continue to be a part of this community. In fact, we believe that that's, that's one of our missions is to create a worship environment here where you can belong before you believe, where you can safely bring those questions and ask them without being cast aside. And so um, I'm not offended uh, if you disagree with me, if you think I'm crazy and, and, and full of it. That's all right. It won't bother me. I, I, am, I am so convinced of this that you can't change my mind. And if I can't change yours, that's all right too. Um, but we're going to preach based on our convictions 
and ultimately of our understanding of the Holy Scriptures. So with that being said, here's the top three ways I've heard or seen this question asked. I'm going to address them one by one, and then there's a fourth question that I want to break down into three parts. If you guys have been here a little while, you're probably beginning to learn that I love lists. Lists are my favorite. In fact, I have a list of the reasons that I love lists. And so let me start on my first list here this morning, the three different ways that we see this question asked. So number one is this. People often want to know, well, if you believe Christianity is the only way, then what about all the other religions? What about all the other religions in the world? How can you assert that one is right and all of the rest of them are wrong? Why does Christianity do that? Isn't there room for all of them to lead to the same place? Isn't everyone basically just saying the same thing anyways? And the short answer here is no, they are not. In fact, this idea of Christianity being the only religion to suggest exclusivity is a recent Western idea that became very popular in the 1970s with the New Age movement. You see, the New Age movement, instead of being a part of one religion, it kind of pulled the pieces that it liked from all the different world religions, especially Eastern religions. And it, it taught basically that, you know, different things like maybe that God is a part of us and that there's many pathways to God. And it's a very recent idea. All the religions that this movement borrows from, they, every single one of them, also preach exclusivity. Muslims believe their faith is their only way to salvation. One of the pillars of Islam is there is no God but Allah. Hindus will not compromise on the law of karma, which asserts good behavior is the pathway to heaven and, that, and, and, and enlightenment, which is the opposite of what Christianity teaches. And I'll talk more about that in just a few moments. Buddhists say that the eightfold path is the best way to enlightenment or the only way to enlightenment. And it also centers heavily on good deeds and being a good, selfless person. Even universalist Unitarians exclude people who believe in an exclusive religion. I guess they're not all that universal after all. If you believe there is a pathway to God, you've got to choose one. If you really want to believe that there is a pathway to God and you decide to get serious about it, you have to choose one pathway. You simply cannot allow for every pathway to be right. It can't be an everybody wins participation trophy scenario. One of these religious pathways is right and the rest of them are wrong. I believe that the one pathway that is right is Christianity. Now, I don't think that makes me better or smarter or superior to anyone who believes otherwise. I've, I've, I've had that people ask me that when I tell them that I don't believe Christianity is the only way to heaven. They'll say, well, what? What, you think you're better than everybody else? You think that you are the only, you, you think you're smarter than me? You think you, you think you got it, you know, you got this sense of superiority about the whole thing? And the answer is, well, absolutely not. Actually, I'm probably worse because, you know, they're actively trying to be better people. And I know that I've been saved by grace, which leads me to stupid decisions sometimes. I'll get more into that in a minute. I don't think that I'm perfect. I don't think that, that I'm better than anybody else. I just believe that I have the truth, the one and only truth. And in fact, I believe it so much that I would give my life and myself to lead anybody who doesn't believe that truth to that truth so they can experience the same amount of life and freedom that I've experienced. This question's been around since the beginning. Folks have always wondered whether or not you could take 
more than one pathway. In fact, a bulk of the Old Testament is about the Hebrew people really struggling because they live in a culture like ours where there's lots of pluralism. They lived in this land surrounded by people who would have multiple gods and who would also, also always say, well, I'll take your God and I'll take a little bit of your God and, oh, this God offers wealth. I definitely want this God. And, and they have this collection of gods and living in that culture and in that context surrounded by those peoples affected the Hebrew people as well. So much so that God had to constantly remind them that he was the one and only, that he was the pathway, that he was, he was the only God that they needed to worship. He would tell them that they should have no other gods before him. He, he declares his name to Moses as Yahweh. I am, as in I am alone. I am the only. I am the God that created everything. His name to Abraham was El Shaddai, the God Almighty, the God above all other gods. And yet, over and over again, these people in this context kept falling in with their culture and allowing other pathways into their beliefs. One of those times, Elijah is the prophet of God, and he goes up against these priests and prophets of the gods of that season that were called the Baals. And Elijah makes this statement to the people, which I, I feel like he would have to make again even today in our current culture. Elijah looks at the people who are going back and forth, and in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, he says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The NIV says, How long will you waver? You see, our God does not want us to waver. He wants us to follow him and him alone. There's only one path to eternal life. I think the second way that we ask this question today in our culture is, is to question even truth in general. What is truth anyways? We live in a culture where we really genuinely believe that truth is relative. There's my truth and there's your truth. Why don't you speak your truth so that I can compare it to my truth and maybe in the middle we can find some kind of a combined hybrid truth. It's hard to share absolute truth in a culture that views truth as relative. There's my truth, there's your truth, there's no absolute. How can we say Christianity is the only way to heaven? Because that means that everyone else's truth is wrong and only one is right. And that's just not how it works these days. But here's the deal. You see, no matter what we say, we all deal in absolute truth. And I'm going to be kind of a booger about this for a minute, so please excuse me. But... If you believe that no truth is absolute, is that truth absolute or relative? Because if you're stating that that truth is absolute, it's a self-contradiction. But if you believe it's relative, then through the law of logical conclusion, you would have to admit that some truth is in fact absolute. You follow me? You can't say that all truth is relative without allowing that some truth is absolute. And my conviction is that when it comes to who is God, and what is the pathway to him, to life with him? There is only one way and one answer, and I believe that that truth is absolute. It's the same truth yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In John chapter 14, 6, Jesus makes a declaration about his identity. And he says, I am the way, as in the only way. 
as in the way. In fact, early Christians weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way, as in the only way to heaven. And I am the truth, as in absolute truth, as in you and I are able to know what absolute truth is because of the person of Jesus, because of the teachings of Jesus, because of the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. You and I have access to truth that we've never had before in all of history. And if we indulge in that truth, and if we accept that truth, now we have access to Jesus' third character trait, and that is life. You see, I believe that absolute truth is connected to having life. And because of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, we can know the truth about God and about reality. Now, does this mean finding the truth is easy? No. You're still going to have questions. You're still going to have doubts. There's still going to be struggle over what is and isn't truth. But when people say that all religions are the same, that's not true. The world's religions and pseudo-Christian sects like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses defer on major truths like who God is, who Jesus is, and how salvation is accomplished. They also defer on what the problem of humanity is and the destiny of people after death. These differences are vast, and so the law of non-contradiction states The two opposites cannot be true at the same time. Either one is true and one is not, or vice versa. I think the third way we see this question asked is this. Um, And I've had this conversation many times. There's there's two different kinds of people that wonder if Christianity, or or that ask you questions, actually about your Christianity in general. And the first kind is the person who genuinely wants to know, who's, who's exploring and who's been exposed to a lot of different uh, answers in their lives and, and a lot of different religions and, and versions of Christianity. And so they're just trying to discern the truth. There's that person. And that, that's, the, that's the best one to ask the questions. And there's the, then there's the gotcha guy. And the gotcha guy is just like, well, did you know, have you heard about, have you heard about Horus, the Egyptian god who ate his own mother. He's just like Jesus. Anyways, there's, there's two different kinds of people, and a lot of times the gotcha guy wants to come to you and ask the question like, does Jesus ever claim to be the only way to heaven? Does he ever even really say that? Because you know what? We acknowledge Jesus in my teaching as a great teacher and a prophet, and we talk about him as somebody who we can learn from. His, his teachings on love and kindness and compassion, that's something anybody can learn from. And so Do we really have to believe that he's the only way to heaven? Did he ever even make that claim? And the short answer is yes. The Bible's consistent narrative throughout from start to finish is that there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, the Father. And the only way to the Father is through Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made the claim that he was the Son of God, even that he and the Father are one. He said if anybody seen him, they had seen the Father. Jesus said he was the one and only way to heaven. He said on more than one occasion that he was the bread of life. 
or the living water, and that if you ever wanted to never feel hungry or thirsty again, that He was the answer. Here's the deal. You cannot claim Christianity or follow Jesus and also believe there are many paths to heaven. Jesus even said there was one path to heaven, and it's not an easy one. It's easy to say everybody goes to heaven if they're good enough. Jesus says he came to earth because none of us will ever be good enough. And you can't have it both ways. Jesus either is the Son of God and the only way to the Father, just as he said he was, or he was a crazy person and a liar and a spinner of partial truths. And you don't get both. You have to choose. C.S. Lewis says in his masterwork, Mere Christianity, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God Almighty. Amen, somebody. Come on, it's never been said any better than that. That's C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. So if we come to terms with that, if we begin to come to the grips that there really is only one pathway, that we have to make a choice, we are either with Jesus and every claim that he made, or we are against Jesus and following some other pathway in the world. If you've at least come that far with me so far this morning, then perhaps you have this question on your mind. Our fourth question is this, what makes Christianity any different from all these other world religions? What separates Christianity from all these other world religions, why, when I'm looking at my choices and I'm looking at all the different teachers and all the different paths that billions of people follow, why would I choose Christianity out of all of them? And I believe there's three major variances which are worth paying attention to. And the first one is this, and that's that I don't have to earn it. I don't have to earn it. You know, it's interesting in every major world religion, in every major world religion, it's based on works. It's based on what you do, how, how, how good of a person you're able to be. Some, sometimes they teach, some teach that there's a scale. There's a scale, and at the end of life, it'll be balanced and weighed, your sin versus your good, your good deeds and one thing over the other thing. Some teach that there's, that, there's, that there's a certain pathway of checklist good things that you have to do to check off in order to perhaps be allowed into heaven. Christianity just teaches that all you have to do is surrender. You see, it's grace-based instead of works-based. See, the assertion of Christianity is that in the garden... If you take it back to Genesis, we talked about the problem of humanity. When we talk about that in academics and theology, it means this. The problem of humanity is that God created man, and God wanted man to choose to love him. Do you know that? Do you know that's why God did that? He gave him the option of, of, of sin. He gave him the option of the two trees, the tree of life or the tree of knowledge. And he said, if you take from the tree of knowledge, that is sin, and the penalty is death. 
If you take from the tree of life, then you'll live with me forever. And man chose the tree of knowledge and sin entered into the world. And all of a sudden, now we all have to wrestle with the sin that came from that first decision. And people have asked me before, why would God do that? Why would he give us the choice if he knew we would make the wrong one? Because of this very simple reason. Because when you either choose love or you're forced into love. And forced love is called abuse. And our God is not an abusive God. He wanted us to love him out of the choice to love him. And so if the problem of humanity is that we all have sin and we constantly choose the things that are not of God that lead to death... God said, there has to be a way for you to come to me. And so in the beginning, he introduced this system of sacrifices because if the penalty is death, then he would allow us to take a perfect and a clean lamb, a lamb with no flaws, no blemishes, and spill its blood instead of ours, putting our penalty on that lamb, something that would have to be repeated over and over again in life. And God, I think, got real sad about all the dead lambs. And he said, I want to make something permanent. And so he sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus did all the work for us. He lived a perfect life, something you and I are not capable of. He was fully God and fully man, and he lived this perfect life, and then he would sacrifice himself on the cross, the perfect lamb for every single one of us, and then he would come back to life again, holding the keys to death in his hands, and he would make declarations like if we wanted the keys that he held, the life that he held, all we have to do is surrender to him. It is not works-based, it is grace-based. Tim Tebow's favorite verse, John three sixteen. it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but would have eternal life. That God so loved. So loved the world. And it's the only religion in all of the world where the requirements to join are hanging on the word whoever. 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 It's not an exclusive religion. People talk about it, say, say it's a closed-minded, exclusive religion. Closed-minded and exclusive, the requirements are whoever. No matter what you've done, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter what condition your heart is in today, if you would surrender it before Jesus, you would have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I was riding in a truck one time in, in my old job in the Coast Guard, and I was sitting in the back seat, and in the front seats um, were one of my close friends named Jake. He's a spiritualist. He kind of takes whatever he wants from all the different religions of the world and believes there's many pathways to heaven. And sitting in the other seat was a guy named John. And John was a Mormon that had uh, chosen the way. He had come to Christianity from being a Mormon. And my friend was questioning him about why he would do that, what the difference is, why, what's the switch all about, what, what does he experience now as a Christian that he didn't experience as a Mormon. And I will never forget John's answer. He looked at him and he said, Oh, the difference of what I experience is I experience freedom. I experience freedom and security. I lived my entire childhood, my entire life, hoping that I would be good enough to get to heaven one day. And now I wake up every morning knowing that I don't have to be. That's the kind of freedom that I have in my relationship with Jesus today. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus offers you as well. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, for it is by grace you've been saved 
through faith that is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. It is grace-based. He did all the work for you. He redeems you. He saves you. He gives you freedom. He asks for your surrender so that you can do the job he created you to do. That's good news. The second thing that separates Christianity is this, the deity of Jesus. See, the founder of every other world religion was not a god. Remember the words of C.S. Lewis. You either believe everything that Jesus claimed or nothing. He's either God or he's a madman. Jesus was crucified explicitly because he claimed to be God. It was those claims that led the religious leaders to call for his death. Just look at a few of the statements that he made through John's gospel, our, our most accurate. Can I, I'm defending the Bible with the Bible. Let me pause for a minute and defend the Bible to you and let you know why I think it's okay to do that. I know people don't like sometimes when you use the Bible to defend Christianity. So a quick word on that. What the Bible says Jesus said, Jesus said. What the Bible says happened, happened. Want to know why I'm so confident? The answer is in academics. You see, to consider an ancient text accurate, we examine how many copies we have and how old the oldest versions are. Most of what we know about ancient Rome comes from Livy's text, The History of Rome, written around 350 A.D. We have 150 complete copies of this text, with the oldest one being from about 450 A.D. This is considered an excellent academic source because of the amount of copies that we have to compare to one another. More than 40 copies is what they're looking for in academics in order to consider a source legitimate. We have around 49 copies of Aristotle's most famous work. We actually have 693 copies of the Iliad by Homer, which you probably read in grade school. All pretty good by academic standards. But by academic standards, no historical text comes remotely close to the Bible. We have more than 5,790 copies of the New Testament. If you count Old Testament manuscripts, there's just over 24,000 copies of texts from the Bible. We have more than 5,000 complete texts. The oldest New Testament document we have is a copy of John made only 30 years after the original was written. It's the shortest time gap to any ancient historical text that exists in antiquity. And that's just in the original language. That's not even counting the first and second century translations. That means that we've got more than 5,000 texts to use when compiling the Bible and what was originally written. This means we have the ability to discern every error. Many of the complaints about the Bible are, how do we know? It's been copied so many times, translated so many times. How do we know that the version we have today is even close to the version that they wrote back then? I'll tell you, it's very simple. It's like when I send you a text message and autocorrect thinks that I wanted to say bacon instead of bagels. Apparently, I write about bacon all the time. And so when I ask you to stop and pick up some bacon, but then I try to correct it, and the next time it says something, it, it changes that word is right, but a whole different word is wrong. And so then I get even madder, and I write you another text, and it's changed a whole new word, and those two words are right. 
And then I write you a fourth and even angrier all caps text. And in this one, three different words are wrong, but two new words are right. And then in the fifth one, finally, you get a closer version of what I had tried to say in the first place. Now, this has happened to all of us. And when it happens, what we're able to do is look at those five text messages, compare the words, and figure out what our friend or family member was actually trying to say. So we did this over 5,000 copies with the Bible. And so by academic standards, so what I believe is that the Bible's 100% accurate, but by academic standards, these are not Christian theologians, these are ancient archaeologists, we can consider the text we have today in the Hebrew and the Greek of the Bible to be 99.5% accurate. I believe the Bible is a good academic resource. And so Jesus claimed he was, the, he was God or the Son of God on multiple occasions throughout the Bible. And I'll give you a list of just a few of them. Uh, these are all from John, which is our most historically sound book in the New Testament by academic standards. John chapter 4, verse 26 says, I am he. He says in the, in the passage, I, the one standing before you, am he, referring to the Messiah. John 5, 23 says, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father, putting himself in the same arena as the Father. John 5, 29, these are the scriptures that testify about me upon reading Old Testament prophecies. He declares they were written about him. John 6, verse 40, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 8, 58, before Abraham was born, I am invoking the name of God. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. John 14, 9, as he's sitting at the Last Supper with his closest friends, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus doesn't just make this claim himself. People testify to it as well throughout the Scriptures. John the Baptist says, "Lamb of, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1, 18, John the Apostle says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Talking about Jesus. Matthew 16, 16, Peter declares, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Jews, even in accusation in John five eighteen, they say he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Maybe the most convincing is the Roman centurion at the feet of Jesus, listening to the things he said as he was being crucified and saying, surely he was the Son of God. Jesus is a part of the triune God. And I'm aware there's other Christ myths out there. If you've never heard this before, it's the assertion that Jesus is just one of a popular historical myth at the time that follows a similar narrative. One of you brought up Apollonius of Tiana, and Horus, the Egyptian god, is another example. Well, the story of Horus has more than five major variances from the story of Jesus to the point where there are vague similarities akin to Jesus and Hercules from the Disney movie. Both of them are the son of the created. Both do miracles, but the similarities in there. As for Apollonius, there's 12 copies of the documents that account to his life, and the oldest one written is 300 years after he allegedly lived. So from an academic standpoint, there's absolutely no comparison. It's also worth noting that while Jesus' life through the Gospels 
is depicted with humility and compassion, something completely unique to any other person claiming to be a Messiah in ancient times. Apollonius' life narrative is filled with fantasy and self-indulgence, much like the story of Hercules. Listen. There is no God but our God. There is no Christ but Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the living Word. He was there in the beginning, and He will reign at the right hand of the Father at the end. And here's why this matters. Christianity is the only way to heaven. But it is also the only religion where God Himself sends a part of Himself, His only Son, to live life as both fully man and fully God. He then spends three years teaching us how to love each other better, how to live better, how to serve each other better. And then, after a blameless life, He would be crucified to become the perfect Lamb, the sacrifice for all of my sins, so that I would never have to earn my way into heaven. But if I would just surrender myself to Him, He would forgive me completely and freely. That's good news. And I think the third, and maybe the most compelling reason that Christianity is different from any other religion in the world is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He is alive. There is more evidence, both biblical and extra-biblical, pointing to the resurrection being real than there is to the actual existence of Alexander the Great. Let that sink in for a moment. I think the best evidence is in the Gospels themselves. These men wrote down and distributed letters that told the whole world that they were cowards who did not believe their Messiah when he said he would rise again. They, they were hiding when they should have been waiting. And they admitted on Sunday morning, nobody was expecting nobody. And they write in all four Gospels that it was a woman who Jesus appeared to first, something nobody in the first century culture would have ever willingly admitted. And they were afraid to be seen in the days surrounding Jesus' crucifixion. But by the end of it, all but one would be martyred just to tell people that Jesus raised from the dead. I believe the only explanation for that is that they saw and they experienced and they spoke to a resurrected Jesus. Paul recites what was originally called the first gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. And we actually have fragments of this, this declaration going back to 40 AD, just a few years after Jesus' resurrection. It was the first liturgy of the church. In the early days, they didn't have a Bible to read. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the Gospels. They had this sentence that they would read at all of their meetings in declaration of Jesus' resurrection. It says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, Fact check me on this. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. 
Confucius is dead. Jesus is alive. And he is the only one. There, there are shrines built at the tombs of every leader of every other world religion. But all we've got is an empty grave. Because Jesus is alive. That's good. Christianity is the only way to heaven. Now, it's hard. I know you got a lot of questions. And I know you, you hear this and it brings up questions. And it's, 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 it's one of those things where you hear all these facts and you hear this defense and you hear things like this and you just think, you know, I don't know. I just don't. There's still, there's still so much unanswered. And what about this and, and what about that? And I want to let you know that at the end of the day, it comes down to faith. At the end of the day, it comes down to trust. You see, I've chosen to trust God, to surrender myself to him. Do you know why people like these other religions more than Christianity? Because when it's based on good works, I've got control over how good I am. But Christianity is based on surrender. And surrender means releasing control. Surrender means laying down my life at the feet of something else. And that's hard for us. It's hard, but you've got to trust God. You've got to trust that he's got a dream for you, that he's got a plan for you, that he's got a purpose for you. You know, when I was maybe 12 or 13 years old, I was out on the boat one day, and um, I was going uh, fishing with my dad and his close friend, and then his son, who was my best friend, named Taylor, Taylor Letko. And me and Taylor, we were, uh, we were in the back of the boat while our dads were, were, were pulling us away from where we were, and there was two anchors out, a back anchor and a front anchor, Okay. And so we had already pulled up the back anchor, and my dad was up pulling up the front anchor, and Taylor's dad was driving the boat, and I, I noticed that my dad's boat, which had a, it had, it had an, it had a big anchor guide that were these two sharp pieces of metal that came like this, I noticed that his anchor line was getting close to our engine. So I leaned over the back of the boat, and I put one hand on the engine and the other hand on this anchor line to hold it back from getting tangled. All of a sudden, I feel somebody grab onto my life jacket and throw me on the ground. And I looked up just in time to see those sharp blades go flying past right where my head was. And then I looked up and I saw Taylor standing there with his towel tied around his neck, flapping in the wind, <laughs> having just saved my life. And let me tell you something about Taylor. I trust him. I mean, I trust him. He tells me that something's true, I take it as true. He tells me he's going to do something for me. I don't, I don't ask why. I don't ask proof. I trust him. I believe in him. Jesus saved my life. What he's done for me has taken me from being completely broken, hurting, lost, and empty. And he's given me purpose and peace and healing and joy. And I tell you what, I trust him. And I'll have doubts. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes I don't know the answers to things and I want to ask why and I want, I want a different explanation and I feel all those things. But at the end of the day, I trust him. And whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do. And whatever he says is truth, I believe is truth because he has saved me and I'm standing here today in front of you because of that. So I know that the answers don't always satisfy, but that's not what it's about anyways. I don't believe you get to come into a relationship with Jesus through a bunch of head knowledge. I believe it happens in the hearts. And so my prayer today is that some of that head stuff got out of the way so you can let him get to your hearts because that's where the transformation takes place. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we just open up our hearts to you this morning, God. Father, forgive us for being so inquisitive. God, you made us this way. We've got questions. We want to know these things. But God, at the end of the day, you are Yahweh. You are the good and compassionate God. Father, we believe that, that you, want, you want a relationship with us. You don't want our sacrifices, God. You, don't want, you, you, just want, you just want us, all of us, Father. You want our hearts. So God, we commit our hearts to you this morning. Use us, Lord. Strengthen our faith, Father. God, I pray for the person this morning that came in here wondering whether or not you were the only person to heaven. That God, you would put, that your spirit would work on their hearts. That God, you would remove the doubt for long enough for your hope to enter in. That God, you would give enough answers. Or Lord, that you would, that you would help them to feel satisfied even when there are no answers. That they would believe you are enough. That you are different. That you have set them apart for a special purpose. We love you so much, God. Be glorified in my life. Be glorified in this church. Be glorified in this city. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand up with me? I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe you came in here today and you had a lot of questions and doubt and insecurities that were keeping you from Jesus. And maybe today's the day you let all that fall aside. Maybe today is the day you stop letting that get in the way. You got to stop. Sometimes you got to stop letting your head get in the way of your heart. Maybe today is the day for you to find out what it feels like to have somebody save your life. If you'd like to enter into a relationship with Jesus today, it starts very simply with a moment of surrender, a prayer, just, just telling God that today's the day I'm giving myself to you. And then from there, it's just, it's, just, it's just a journey. They didn't call them Christians in the beginning. They called them followers of the way because it's about following. It's about just pursuing Jesus. You know, we still do good works in Christianity, and we're supposed to, but it's not because we have to for heaven. It's because we're compelled to because of the one who did good things for us. Maybe today's your day. If, if everybody would just close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. If today is your day, pray this prayer with me this morning. Father, thank you for saving me. God, I just ask that you would Silence my doubt for a moment this morning, God. Silence my questions. I believe that my need is for you. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. Thank you for the resurrection that I might have life. I give myself to you today. Forgive me of my sins. I know there are many. Thank you for covering them. I want to pursue you with everything I have. Holy Spirit, Dwell within me. I give myself to you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If that was your moment, if that was it for you today, you got to know there's a celebration. The Bible says there's a literal celebration in heaven every time somebody commits themselves to be a follower of the way. Isn't that good?